Phil, and I am uh, the lead pastor of Life Church, and we're really excited to have all of you here today. Uh, it's a great day, isn't it? Amen. I love this weekend. This is the Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, weekend, and uh, we are going to do something uh, tomorrow. Uh, some of us are going to march in the parade, uh, and the parade is going to be on. We're going to meet at Tabernacle Baptist Church at 2137 Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard at 930 in the morning. We'll march in the parade. We'll hold a banner. We'll pass out flyers about Life Church. But if you want to be a part of that, just encourage you to come and be a part of that. Um, Also, this afternoon, uh, some of us are going to be going to the homeless uh, church, Water Angels Ministry. And I'm real excited that Chris is going to be bringing the message. Chris Oaks is going to be bringing the message. Let's hear it for Chris. Yeah. And, uh, and we're going to be leading worship at that event. And uh, so I encourage all of you uh, to be a part of that. Also, today, uh, I'm excited because for the first time, we are going to be broadcasting on our new broadcast called Discover Life on Joy 620 AM. Yeah. And so we'd like to welcome all of those of you that are listening on Joy 620 AM. It's so good to have you. We'd love to we love that you're listening. And if you have another church, that's great. But if you don't have a church, we'd love for you to come visit us at Gresham Middle School at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Fountain City. Uh, this is a great church, and I know that you'd love to be a part of it. I'm, we are doing a series right now called First Things First. And i got to get squared away here. i got too much stuff on my deal. But uh, if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10... We're talking about the stuff that matters the most. Thank you very much, Chris. The stuff that matters the most. And last week we talked about our first love, and that, that as we're dealing with first things first, that having our first love and loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength was so, so important to everything that we do. But today we're going to deal with another subject uh, and that is loving our neighbor. In fact, the Bible says that it is so important that it's, that it's right up there with loving God. So if you would uh, turn to Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? This issue of loving our neighbor is so important that in the context of this story that Jesus is saying, it's in the context of what must I do to inherit eternal life? Understand that if we don't get this right, in other words... He connects it with salvation. 
that if, that if you want to be saved, we can't say that we love God and at the same time hate our neighbor. How many believe that this morning? You cannot say that you love God and hate your neighbor at the same time. I, um, I, I love this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Let me just kind of share with you a little background about, about why I care about it. Because I think it's connected with this whole issue of, of loving your neighbor and who is, our, who is my neighbor, which is the message today. But I grew up in the far north. I mean, I grew up in the frozen tundra. I mean, when I was three years old, we moved to St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, we've got some guests from Michigan today, so they, uh, they know what I'm talking about. Up where it's really, we think it's cold here. It's not cold here. Uh, we don't know cold. I mean, we grew up, I, I remember as a kid, I literally got my tongue stuck to a, to a pole when I was licking it, you know, because it was so cold, it would freeze that fast. And uh, so, so we, we, we lived in St. Paul, Minnesota, in fact, my mother was teaching at a, at a prim, predominantly African-American um, high school on the day that Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, was shot. But though I would have been just a young boy at that time. Now, the neighborhood that I grew up in was, was a, 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 I didn't think about it. As a kid, you don't think about these things. It was a, a white neighborhood. I just grew up around people that looked like me, talked like me, acted like me, all those kind of things. And so uh, when I was seven years old, we moved to the deep south, which is northern Illinois. We moved from St. Paul, Minnesota to to northern Illinois. And um, I was in second grade, and and the, the school year had already started, and you know how it is. You know, you just moved, you have no friends, you know nobody. My first day in class, they've already started. Um, I'm the new kid on the block, and uh, I'm, I'm sitting in class, and I'm seated right next to an African-American student. Now, I didn't grow up in a family that t- told racial jokes. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't think that racism was encultured in me in any kind of way or anything. But for some reason, unbeknownst to me, because this kid was sitting next to me and he was looking at me because I was the new kid, he wasn't smiling, he wasn't frowning, he was just looking at me. And I could just feel his eyes just looking at me, you know. And, the, and I thought, this kid is going to kill me. This kid is absolutely going to kill me. And I was just dreading, you know, the, 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 the first time that we had to, to, to talk or, or to meet. And so... <clears throat> I remember the first break that we had, we, we went out on, on recess together, and uh, this, sure enough, this kid comes at me, and I thought, oh, here it goes, Lord. I, I just braced myself, preparing for my impending death. And the kid came up to me, and he suddenly smiled, and he said, hi, my name's Steve Vesey. Steve and I became best buddies that year, and it was sort of my first understanding in this whole area of race. But you have to understand that loving people that are different from whatever color, if you're black, loving people that are white, loving people that are Hispanic, if you're white, loving people that are different colors, it's not, it's not sort of like a luxury item for us as Christians. 
We are to love people. If we love God, God has called us to love people. Are you with me this morning? We've got to love people. Amen. Amen. And it's so important that, he, that, that it's in this context of, um, of uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Back to our passage. He answered, love the Lord your God. So, so, so Jesus is asking him, what's written in the law? I want to point out before I say that, though, is this guy does not come to Jesus seeking wisdom from Jesus. He's not coming to Jesus because he wants to be um, schooled in, in truth. He's not on a search for truth. The scripture says that he's coming to test Jesus. And the, the Greek word for that is the same word that's also translated tempted. He comes to tempt Jesus. In other words, what he's doing is he's trying to find a chink in Jesus' armor. He's trying to find some flaw in the way that he looks at things. He's trying to find uh, something wrong with the way that he approaches things uh, so that he can, he can put him down. Now, now, why? what was the motive behind that? I don't know. One, one thought by some of the commentaries I read is that Jesus was beginning to draw a crowd. And, and, you know, how many know that we people are bad about that, that uh, trying to knock down who's ever on top, you know what I mean? Somebody who's, somebody who's beginning to, to get a following and to get a, a gathering around them that we, that we suddenly find, we've got to find the flaw in that guy. And so here's this lawyer, he comes to Jesus and he, and he comes to test him. But how many know that when you go to test Jesus, you're going to end up being the one being tested? And so he comes to Jesus with a question, but Jesus turns around and asks him a question. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, this guy's a lawyer. It's like, give me a hard question. It's like, you're throwing a softball at me. Ask me something complicated, you know, so you can kind of see the guy kind of puffing up, you know, as he's ready to give his answer. I know the answer to that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. And that's when it gets interesting. Because in the Old Testament, there was, a, there was a different understanding of what our neighbor was. In the Old Testament, the understanding neighbor was a fellow Jew. By the way, one of the, one of the major differences between the Bible and the Koran is this. That in the Bible it says, love your neighbor. And in the Koran it says, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But how many know that Jesus said, love your neighbor and love your enemies? Amen. It's a major difference, and so and so in this issue of love, I got too much. I'm used to using a lapel mic. For those of you wondering why I'm discombobulated, I'm holding a mic, holding a Bible, holding notes, and all that kind of stuff today. Uh, so the next point I want to make is that our natural definition of neighbor are those that speak, look, and act like we do. Literally in the Greek, the word for neighbor is placeion. It means those who are near. Our neighbor are those who are near. We have, I believe, 
and I think this was my issue as a kid. I don't think that somebody taught you know, you know, me to be afraid of people of different colors or whatever. I think there is a natural tendency for us to be more comfortable with people who look like, act like, talk like us. Now, I'm preaching the truth today, whether you agree with it or not. That's, that's the truth this morning. And, and I'm going to prove it to you, all right? Have you guys been watching dating sites? You know, the, the first one that was eHarmony.com, and that was pretty general, you know, pretty much everybody joined and, and all of that. However... We have narrowed this thing down. Now there's Christian mingling. I get that. Christians want to date Christians. I believe that. I teach that to my kids. Uh, we, we, we teach to our children, no missionary dating. You don't go and date somebody in order to be a mission. Oh, that girl just looks like she needs the Lord. <laughs> no, you, you want to you 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 be with somebody who, who shares the same value. So, so I get that one. But, uh, but you know, it really narrows down a lot more than that. Uh, I, I found, have, you, I, have you seen the commercial for FarmersOnly.com? It's for people that want to date farmers, and I love the tagline, because city folks just don't get it. You, you know, farmers want to be with, with farmers. Uh, and then, so I, I thought I'd just research this a little bit, and I was just amazed what I came up with. SeaCaptainDating.com for sea captains who want to find people who also love the ocean. There's MissTravel.com for people who like to travel but they don't want to travel alone. So you can date them. Oh, then there was DarwinDating.com. And I thought, what is this? People that believe in evolution? No, they think they're at the top of the evolutionary chain, and so it's beautiful people. So Darwin.com is the, you know, no ugly people allowed is what they're saying. You know, Darwin.com, if you want to get on there for beautiful people. Hey, can I just destroy a myth today? I just want to say to all of you young men out there that maybe struggle with your looks, I am living proof that an ugly guy can marry a beautiful woman. Amen. <laughs> all right. So, but anyway, there's, and, but then there is the uglyball.com. The uglyball. So no beautiful people invited to that one. If you think you're ugly, you join uglyball.com and you can uh, find a dating site there. Oh, I like this one, womenbehindbars.com. This is for women behind bars who have a, a dating site uh, that uh, they want to find a guy who just wants to date somebody in prison. And I thought, you know, that's not a bad deal for a guy in some ways, you know. No, sorry, I didn't say that. <laughs> oh, this is bad. Positive Singles, a dating site for people with STDs. I don't know. They want to share. I don't know. I, you know, um, wealthymen.com. You need to be wealthy. Cougarlife.com. If you want to date a cougar. Pounced.com. This is a site for furries to meet. Larry and Valerie May will explain to you what a furry is after church if you want to know. Then there's, there's stash passion. This is for havers and lovers of mustaches. Mike May, there you go, right there, yep. Datagolfer.com. Um, 
Then there's one called Little Friends for, for little people to date each other. There's TallFriends.com. There's DemocraticSingles.net. There's ConservativeDatingSite.com. You can date somebody for... I didn't... I, that's just a tip of the iceberg of the dating sites that I could have read about people that are dividing down into little elements. But you know, there's part of this that makes sense to us because we all like to be around people that are like us or whatever. But I read somewhere, and we studied this actually at our recent leadership meeting, talking about tribes, and we talked about what kind of tribe does Life Church want to be? Who do we want to attract? What kind of what kind of what what is the kind of person that would fit in at Life Church? And we talked about this, you know, who's our target audience? What kind of music do we sing to attract that kind of target audience? All that kind of stuff. But I read in a book somewhere that there is a place. That every tribe, every nation, and every tongue would confess, and they would sing, and they would be around the throne of God, and they would be worshiping together. And I read somewhere about a place where a man named Jesus said that we should pray on earth as it is in heaven. That we should pray that those values on earth... Let me just say, what if, what if the tribe of Life Church became a place where it didn't matter what color you were? It didn't matter what background you came from. It didn't matter what language you spoke. Amen. Because we were trying to be a little bit like the church in heaven. Amen. 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 So we tend to like to be around folks that are, we look, that, that's natural for us. I'm not, even, I'm not even condemning us. It's called the homogeneous principle. Um, and, so, and so churches do this. We, we have yuppie churches. You have, I went to one church, by the way, that had all kinds of venues. They, they, had, uh, they, they had bought out a strip mall. And uh, they, they had this, these venues, and they made each little store into a different church setting one was called Traditions, where they all sang hymns and they took communion every week. Uh, one was um, uh, kind of like for yuppies, where you ate bagels while you ate. Uh, there was one called The Edge, and it was like really grungy and it looked like a garage or something. And uh, there was one uh, that, uh, that was for artists. Instead of doing praise and worship, uh, they would paint, you know, for their praise and worship. You know, they would do artwork and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and uh, so they would all have their different worship sets. And then when the sermon came, it came piped down uh, to each of their places. We're, we're, we're geared this way to, to tribe off, to, 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 to find our subset, to find our category. So the guy answers the question that, that we are to love God and we are to, to love our neighbor. And then Jesus makes the startling statement back to him. Then do it. Wow. Do this and you will live, he says to him. In Jesus' statement to them, there's almost the, there's almost the accusation in the statement by Jesus that the issue with you is that your head is full of knowledge, but your heart is not full of obedience. 
there's churches today that can be strong on theology. We can even pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, we believe all this stuff. We believe that everybody's our neighbor, but we'd just be more comfortable if we just kind of hang out with people like us. You know what I'm saying? But that's not what he said. He didn't say, know this and you will live. He didn't say, know it and you will live. What did he say? He said, do it. Do it and you'll live. Christianity is not a works-based religion. We're not, we're, not, we're not judged by what we do. But let me tell you something. If you, if you got the real deal, if you've got Jesus in your heart, it will change your behavior. Amen. So this is, this is, this is a lawyer that wants to make, make the argument, and Jesus says, no, it's, it's about doing it. Story continues, and uh, Jesus goes on in the story to say this. The lawyer says, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In other words, the lawyer is saying, the lawyer is saying, okay, I see what you're saying, Jesus, but I know the law, and I know what a neighbor is. A neighbor is my fellow Jew. And so Jesus, in reply, says, tells a story. He tells it about an experience. In fact, some of the commentators say this is a parable, but it could be based on an experience, certainly based on experiences like which have actually happened. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. The road to Jericho is a, is a 17-mile, 3,300-foot descent from, from Jerusalem to Jericho. And a lot of the priests and Levites lived in Jericho as a bedroom community, and so it was heavily trafficked. But the road was also filled with robbers. It was filled with thieves. It was filled with thugs who would do you damage uh, while you were on the road. But Jesus says the man that was there and had been beaten was left there, hemithones, half dead. This isn't a guy driving down the road that you see that's got a flat tire that you think the next guy can help the guy since I'm in a hurry. This is a guy with flames coming out of his car and his head's hanging out. And if you don't help him, he could die. You know what half dead means? What does half dead mean? You know what my definition of half dead is? Half alive. Ecclesiastes says, where there's life, there's hope. Even a dead dog, even a live dog, is better than a dead lion. In other words, if this guy's breathing, if this guy's alive, if this guy's, there's still hope for this guy. 
And by the way, I'm going to hand, I'm going to leave this as a cliffhanger today. I'm going to do this in two weeks. And I'm going to end on this point today. This was a fellow Jew in the ditch. Now, now, now he says, who is my neighbor? So, so, so the very first thing that I want you to notice, this isn't some guy of some other culture that doesn't look like the lawyer. This is somebody who looks like the lawyer who's in the ditch. And he's being avoided because he can't be bothered. Here's what I want to end with today. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream. And I want to say to Life Church this morning that I have a dream. I have a dream, Life Church. And by the way, you're already this. And I'm, I just believe we're going to see it more and more. I, believe, I have a dream for Life Church that we are a church that every race, every tongue, and every tribe will be welcome. I have a dream for Life Church that we're going to be a church that no matter what your past is, if you've got life in your body, if there is breath breathing in and out of you, there's hope for you. Amen. I wanted to tell you a little bit about my experience in southern Illinois. I, um, I moved there in 1993. And Melly and I were so unsure about whether how, it was my first pastorate and didn't know how things would work out. And we were renting a house. And one day we just heard a smash and crash right outside of our house and we opened the door and um, somebody's windows had just gotten bashed in with a baseball bat and it was actually some some white guys who had uh, bashed in some African Americans that were driving by their car Uh, because we kind of almost saw the event we were really close to it the police talked to us they explained to us the situation that there'd been a racial uh, problem between these guys and whatever. So we decided that um, I got together with a couple of the African American pastors and I said, you know, let's don't let's don't take this standing. Let's let's have a let, let's let's have a, a service celebrating unity. And so we had a Martin Luther King service and our church hosted it. And um, for years on, on this weekend we would have a Martin Luther King service and a lot of the african-american churches and a lot of the white churches would come in our uh in our church and we would celebrate together on that evening we had politicians uh come to that i don't know if you remember senator paul simon he wore a bow tie uh from illinois senator paul simon was one of our speakers one year uh at that uh at that uh service but you know uh, we had that service and uh um, it was wonderful, and we all went home, and we all went back to our own places, and frankly, our church remained predominantly white. But my dream was that, was that our church could reflect the diversity of our community. And that went on for like 10, 12 years, every year, you know, we would have the service, and 
then we'd all go back to our own churches and be really, really friendly to each other, you know, and we'd, you know, on the streets and all that. But, but just, we're just more comfortable, you know, we're just more comfortable. And, and I, I don't, I, I can't tell you how it happened. And in fact, we took that service and combined it with a larger one in a neighboring city called Carbondale. And uh, we had a, a larger service. And so we quit hosting the service. And, uh, and I just kind of quit trying. I quit trying to make it happen. And when I quit trying to make it happen, it suddenly happened. And people started coming to our church of other colors and races and backgrounds. And when I left Murfreesboro, the diversity of our church reflected the diversity of our community. That's a prayer of mine for Life Church. Don't you want to be a part of a church that looks a little bit like heaven? I want to be a part of a church that looks like, that, that, that reflects the diversity and the richness of heaven. This issue of neighbor is huge. We, we can't even be saved. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Love God and love your neighbor. What is your neighbor? We're going to find out more about that next week. But Jesus expands. He expands the understanding and the definition of who our neighbor is. I want to say this morning in Life Church, I didn't come to Tennessee just to play church and believe the right stuff. I came here because I met a wonderful team of leaders that were already here that I believe wanted to do something. Do something. So I want to say in front of God and everybody, I'm not quitting and I'm not leaving till we do something.